0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. The Old Testament book of Habakkuk. I love the book of Habakkuk. I love all the minor prophets. Uh, The minor prophets are not minor because they're less than everyone else. They're actually smaller books. That's why they're called the minor prophets. But they have a major message. And the book of Habakkuk happens to be one of my specialty books. I love the book of Habakkuk. If you're looking for it, it's right after Nahum. So, if that helps you out. But the book of Habakkuk, which is found in the Old Testament... Good. If you have a hard time finding Nahum, look for Zephaniah. <laughs> it's not helping at all, right? Good. So the Minor Prophets section, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, uh, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and then you come to the poetical books, Psalms, Proverbs. Or sorry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, or Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Now I'm messing up stuff. Then you go to the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Then you hit the minor prophets. There are 12 minor prophets. And from there, from starting from Hosea, then Amos, and then continue to go on. It will be in that section there. The book of Habakkuk in chapter number 1. The book of Habakkuk, chapter number 1. And notice with me, starting in verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou will not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou will not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me and there are none. That rise up strife and contention, therefore the the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth; for the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Habakkuk, chapter number 1? The book of Habakkuk, chapter number 1, and in verse number 5, and this is a good uh, verse to have marked down, verse number 5, where it says, I will work a work in in your days, I will work a work in your days, and here we're going to understand that God is always at work. God is always at work. Now, the book of Habakkuk is different from the rest of the minor prophets. The rest of the minor prophets address a people or a group. For example, the burden of uh, Judah, the bur- uh, the vision that of. <laughs> Of Nineveh, it addresses a certain people or a place. The book of Habakkuk is different because this is a conversation between the prophet and God Himself. And so he starts off in verse one. The the prophet Habakkuk looks around at his country and sees things falling apart, and he says, "God," he begins to pray and begins to say. Don't you see the iniquity? Don't you see the things coming on? Don't you see how bad our nations are going? He says things are so wicked in verse number four that the law is slacked and judgment never come forth. The wicked doth compass the righteous; therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. He says we live in such a bad age that so many people are doing wrong that even the courts aren't even doing what's right, because. Of the society and how bad things are going. And so he's praying like a good Christian should. Like a good believer should. God what are you going to do about this? Our nation's in trouble. Now what scared him is that God actually answered. And God speaks in verse number 5. And he says you want to know what your answer is Habakkuk? You want to know how I'm going to answer your prayer? What I'm going to do about your nation? And how wicked and evil it is? He says behold ye among the heathen. What? And he goes on to explain, in fact, notice in verse 6. It says, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land and to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed out of themselves. Their horses are also swifter than the leopards, and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come afar, and they shall fly as an eagle and hasten to eat. They shall come for all violence. Their faces shall sup as the east wind. They shall gather the captivity as the sand. And as they scoff at the kings and the princes shall be scorned unto them. And they shall deride every stronghold. And they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change and he shall pass over in a fin. Imputing his power unto his God. Now, Habakkuk's praying. So if you... Habakkuk uh, chapter 1. We start off Habakkuk's praying. And he's talking to God. And he's saying. God our nation's falling apart. Our nation is horrible. Violence is going. Uh, the society's falling apart. The courts don't make right judgment. God you got to do something about our nation. That's a great prayer. And God says guess what. You want to know what the answer to your prayer is. He says I'm going to tell you something. That even if I tell you. You won't believe it's going to work. You want to know what it is. Ye among the heathen. He says. Let me tell you what the plan is. The problem is that your nation's falling apart. Everyone's wicked. Everyone's not doing right. No one's seeking after God. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let your nation to be destroyed. I'm going to send the Babylonians. And they're going to come. And they're going to destroy your cities. They're going to burn down your temple. They're going to kidnap your people. And and put them far, far away. That's what I'm going to do to answer your prayer. How about that, Habakkuk? You think that was good news? (laughs) You think that was the plan that he was planning on doing what in the world is going? That's not what I prayed for God. You know, we often go up to God and we have our own way of how we want God to answer our prayers. We know how we expect God to work. You know what we expect? We expect a nice yellow brick road. A clear path of bliss and everything working out the way that we think it should. That when we pray for people, automatically they get right. That just one day they wake up in the morning and go, Woohoo! I've decided to follow Jesus! Sometimes we believe that, you know, hey, I'm praying for finances. My finances up there. So, you know what we expect? We expect that there's a a bag of gold up on our porch the next morning that we go, look at what God did. You know, you may not say that out loud, but, you know, isn't that kind of what we expect sometimes? That we expect God to do a miracle and change hearts automatically that they wake up. But you understand that's not how things work. God says, I'm going to work a work in your days that if I told you, you won't believe me. Habakkuk says, okay, what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to destroy your nation. The problem is that people aren't seeking God. So I'm going to destroy your nation. How about that? And I'm going to send your people to a land that they serve even more gods than what you do. Ha <laughs> And you're going to be enslaved there for 70 years. Yay. God, this isn't what I prayed for. And so what happens, the rest of the book is a conversation where Habakkuk's like, wait a second, they're worse than we are. You want us to be captured by them? They deserve judgment, not us. And God says, no, I'm working to work in your days. I have a plan. I know what I'm doing. And even if I told you how it was going to work out, you wouldn't believe me. You wouldn't believe me. You will know that God knows exactly what we need. We don't know what we need. We don't know how to pray for as We ought, the Bible says, uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. We like to think how we know what to answer. But God knows what he's doing, that God is always at work. If we don't mind, let's first of all, let's examine this here. And the first thing I'd like to show you is that the carelessness of God's people. The carelessness of God's people. Notice again in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it be told to you. The rest of the Bible actually makes reference to this verse a couple different times. Do you know that God is the God of the impossible? God is the God who could change lives. God is the God who changes prayer. But he also knows what it's going to take. To fix people. He knows what it is going to take. To bring someone back to themselves. In the historical context. The problem is is that people are serving all these other gods. But God themselves. They've adopted these other gods. They look at other gods. So you know how God is going to solve this. He's going to bring this to a, a place. Where they serve even more gods than what they do. And at the end of the 70 years. You know what's going to happen. The Jewish people are going to come back. And they're going to become the most monotheistic people there ever existed. You say, how does that work? I can't tell you. I just know it did. And even today, the Jewish people, the Orthodox Jews, there is only one God. And they are very adamant about it. You know what happened? God had to send them through 70 years of Babylonian captivity to fix them as a people. You know what would happen if God just said, all right, fine, I'll give you some blessings. He's tried that several times in Israel's history. And you know what happened? They turned back. They serve God for a second and then turn back. You know, we just got through going over the book of Judges. Isn't that what happened? Time and time and time again. You know what God did? He said, I don't want to go through this cycle anymore where I try to get their attention and they say, God, we need you. And I help them and then they turn around and serve other gods. He says, I don't want to go through this cycle. We're breaking this. I'm going to fix this once and for all. So you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to destroy their nation. I'm going to allow them to be brought to Babylon. And guess what? Something's going to happen while they're over there that no one could explain, but they come back and say there's only one God. And for the next several thousand years, guess what? There's only one God. You know what? God knows what He's doing. And He knows what it's going to take to change someone's heart. You know what our problem is? Is that we don't allow God to work His work. You know that sometimes we have children... Who have unfortunately gone a different direction. What we do not want to pray is God do whatever it takes. To make them the people they ought to be. You know why? Because God will answer that. You know how God will answer that? They will go through hard times. Something will happen to change them. To break them. They've come to the place where they don't want to follow after God. Now You come to the choice, God. What are we going to do about our children? They're not following you. We've tried. We've showed them how good God is. And they still won't follow after God. What do we do? You take your hands off and say, God, you do whatever it's necessary. I know it's going to hurt. I know that they're going to go through pain. But you do what is necessary. The problem is is that we get to the place where we make excuses for the kids. Oh, they're still, they're not that bad. As long as we feel like that, they're not going to change. I'm running through context. This is what happened to the Jewish people. But God knows what is necessary. But the carelessness of God's people is that God's people developed a carelessness that's alarming. If we're saved, we should live like saved people. There's a carelessness in our life about faith. Can we trust God to do what's right? We like to dictate what God should do, but we we don't trust him to do what is right. Allow God to do a work. Which brings us to the next thing. The cruelty of those who do not know the Lord. The cruelty of those that do not know the Lord. That though... Uh, Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we know God. We know that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. God is good and God is right. But those that don't know God, those who are rejected God, they live in a cruel world. Notice again how God describes the Chaldeans, the the Babylonians at the time. Verse number 6. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Here it says that they believe that they're the greatest and that they're the best, and they have every right to do whatever they want to someone else. If they kill someone, hey, I have the right to kill someone. I'm better than you. Notice as it goes on. Their horses are swifter than the leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves. And the horsemen shall come from afar and they shall fly as an eagle that hasteth to eat. Now in verse 8, it's using poetical language to say how hasty. Man, the Babylonians, when they come through, they swept through and caught people unawares. They were quick. Their armies just swept through. Verse number 9. And they shall come for all violence. Their faces shall sup as the east wind. And they shall gather as the captivity in the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings. And the princes shall be a scorn unto them. And they shall deride every stronghold. And they shall heap dust and take it. The Babylonians didn't care about any authority. We're better... We think we're better than everyone else. And that's, that's the take of the world. They don't care what authority says. They'll scoff at them. They'll mock at them. Mark that down. That is a bad place to be whenever someone brags about, Man, I can't wait to tell my boss off. That's something bad. You have a child who continually speaks back to their parents. That is something bad. That is the take of the world. That is something not good. And you say, I'm not encouraged by this message, preacher. Well, I'm trying to say that there's a God at work. But we have to recognize, we have to allow God to work. Notice as it goes on in verse number 11. It says, then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing his power unto his God. Notice with me in chapter 2, verse 11, still speaking about the Chaldeans. Actually, that's where I wanted to go was um, uh, chapter 1, verse 11. And his mind shall change and he shall pass over and offend, imputing his power unto his God. You know that the Babylonians attributed their greatness to their gods. They believed that their gods was bigger and better than the God of the Bible. Unbelief was in the heart of the judgment here. That what was the problem with the people of Judah is that they... um, They didn't recognize God was God. They served these other gods. So they brought in someone else who believed their gods were bigger and better. And that changed them. You understand this world wants to drown out any type of faith. You know, we have the world of atheism. That is a God. Believing that man is God. That's prevalent today. That I'm my own boss. I could do my own thing. And what's happening is the people are getting sucked up. But we could trust God to work. Let me show you this one last thing. We've built up to a very bad thing. That what's the problem? That the people aren't serving God. So what's God's solution? To bring judgment upon the people. Is this because he's being mean? No. It's because he's a very compassionate God. Turn with me to the New Testament book of Luke chapter 15. And just in case you were... Maybe referencing, why are you being so mean and picking on our children? Well, let me show you the application with the idea here. Luke chapter 15, if you don't mind. Luke 15, we have the story of lost things. We have a lost coin, we have a lost sheep, and then we have a lost son. Luke 15 and verse 11, notice with me, uh, yeah, Luke 15 in verse 11. It says, And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that followeth with me. And he divided them to the living. And not many days the younger son had gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he spent him to the fields that fed swine. And he would have fain had he filled his belly with the husk of the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I shall perish with hunters? Hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Take me as one of thy hired servants. But he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to be merry. So let me tell you this story that there was a man who had two sons. The younger one of the sons said, Dad, give me my inheritance. I know you're not dead yet, but give me everything that's owed to me. I'm tired of this farm living. I want to live however I want. I want to do my own thing. I don't care what you say. I know you tell me I need to wait and stuff. But I want what I want now. And I want to live my own life. And I want out of your rules. I'm done. And so the father said, here you go. He gave him to him and let the son Do what he wanted. You say, is that a bad father? No, he understood a principle. He had to let God work. He took his hands off and he said, God, you do what you have to do. That's the hardest thing this father ever had to do was to take his hands off and to say, God, you do what you have to do. And so what happens to the son? The son went to the city and. And lived riotous living, he wasted his substance, he blew his inheritance, he didn't work. he partied. Man, let 's have a party. He wasted his money, he wasted his life instead of advancing forward instead of getting a job, instead of doing this. Man, he wasted that inheritance with riotous living, and it was horrible. And guess what? When he ran out of money, he ran out of friends, and now he 's jobless. He's moneyless. He's homeless. You know, he didn't get a check from his dad and said, all right, here, keep going. His dad left. You got to take care of yourself. That's a hard thing to do. And so what happened? The son says, all right, well, I got to do something. So he finally got a job at a pig farmer. Now, if you remember, the Jewish people, the pig is considered unclean and they're not supposed to touch them at all. But the only thing he could find was to work for a pig farmer to slop the pigs. And he's so hungry and he's so broken that he says, man, the pigs are eating better than me. And when no one was looking, he would get from the pig slop and he would get something to eat. You say, but I don't want my child to go through this. You have to understand that God's at work. And if that is what's necessary, you have to allow it. We can't interfere. We have to allow God to do what he is going to do. As long as we keep helping, they're not going to come to the place where God is the answer. We have to allow God to work a work in his days. That if he told you how he was going to do it, you wouldn't believe it. But God knows what he's doing. So finally, after slopping the pigs enough, he says, dad's got servants that are eating better than me. He says, the Bible says he came to himself. That's the goal for them to finally realize who he truly is. That I'm not as big as I thought I was. I'm not as smart as I thought I was. I'm not the greatest person I thought I was. I messed up. I sinned against God and I sinned against my father. And he said, I'm going to come up with a plan. Then I'm going to say, go back to my father. I'm going to apologize. And I'm going to say, I'm not even worthy be your son. Let me be your servant. He humbled down quite a bit. You know what God is doing? He's working the work in his days. He's changing his heart. So now he goes back to his father. And he's going to go back and apologize. And get things right. And by the way, the rest of his life. He's going to follow God rest of his life. He's going to do what he's told the rest of his life. But he had to get to this place where he came to himself. And so he comes by and as he comes by, he's practicing this speech to himself. But guess what? The whole time the father was looking out. Every day the father, God, please be working on my son, bring him back. God, be working on my son, bring him back. God, be working on my son. Now, again, the whole time he's allowing God to do the work. He's not trying to be God. He's allowing God to work in his life. But he takes his hands off. But he's been praying. He's been praying. God, do a work. God do a work. God do a work. And one day he's up on the porch and he sees something in the horizon and he stands up. Is that him? Is that him? It's him. And he saw his son afar off, and the dad took off running. And he came and he hugged his son, and his son tries to practice the speech. But Dad, I'm no more. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. And the guy's like, none of that, none of that. You again, you gotta get the idea. He just got through running. Bring the fatted calf, bring a robe. My son's home. He's back. He's home. You know why he was able to rejoice? Because he let God do a work. You know, he could have kept him at home. He could have forced him. And that rebellion would have built. And he would have still been far away from God. If you read the rest of the passage, there's a second brother who did not go away. Who's just as far away from his father as the first son was. The first son was far in location. The second was far from heart. He could have forced him to stay. He could have... Helped him. He could have done all this other stuff. But it wouldn't have changed his heart. What changed his heart? God worked a work in his day. That if you would have told him. He would have had to go through that. You wouldn't have believed it. God knows how to work. The problem is. Is that one. We don't believe that he could work. We look at sometimes our children. Or family members. Who are far away. And we like there's no chance. There's no way. Sometimes we don't trust God enough to do it that we feel like we have to help. You understand that you could bypass everything that God is doing when we help our children who are under the judgment of God, who are under the thing that God's trying to work. We could bypass it when we try to explain them off, when we try to to work. You know what? We have to finally get to the place where we're finally honest and say, my child is not right with God. And there's no place of explaining or excusing that could change that fact. You know why we do that, by the way? Pride. We don't want us to look bad because our child is not where they're supposed to be. You make sure that you're where you're supposed to be. And can you trust God to do a work? By the way, all of these passages I'm trying to bring you is to give you encouragement. God is at work. He knows what he's doing. Can you trust him to work? And even family members who are away from the Lord. Can you trust them? Can you trust them? God is always at work. Again, this is hard. But at the same time, this is the best thing we can understand. That God has a plan. And that he's at work. Remember, the whole thing of this series is the worst thing that can happen to us could turn to be the best thing to happen to us because God works through the circumstance. You understand that the worst thing for the Jewish people was for them to go into Babylonian captivity. But the worst thing that happened to them turned to be the best thing to happen to them because now they serve the one true God. For this farmer, this man, the worst thing that could happen to him is for his son to go off and mess up his life. But the best thing that ever happened to him was to allow it to happen so his son could turn back and go back to God and say, God, you were right and I was wrong. The hope that I'm trying to say is not the circumstances. The hope I'm trying to give you is that God is at work. He is always at work. That God, (laughs) it may be that God is working in the most unlikely place. And God is working in the most unlikely way, but He is always at work. By the way, it's not just children, it's any situation. You have that boss that really bothers you? Stop trying to change your boss. Take your hands off and say, God, you do a work. (laughs) Ladies, if your husband's not the way he's supposed to be, you can't change him. Hopefully, you've realized that after a while. Probably the first week of marriage. I can't change him. God, you have to do the work. By the way, if there ever comes a time where you think pastor's wrong, you know what you should do? God, I'm going to allow you to work. I'm going to allow you to do what you need to do. That's the idea of trusting God. Can you trust God enough to work, to get accomplished? When we put that much faith in God to allow him the freedom to do what is necessary, he will work he knows exactly what is necessary to bring person to change their heart to bring them back and again we wish it was just wake up one morning and woohoo it doesn't happen that way things don't get better by itself they need an outside source to change that they will not get better by themselves can you trust god to do his work That is a thing of faith. That is a thing of trusting God. But God is able. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time